You're listening to The Couplehood Podcast, a podcast designed for parents who want to keep their romantic relationships thriving and build their most intentional life. I'm your host, Allison Villa, psychotherapist and relationship expert. Welcome back. So happy to have you here listening today. I am feeling a little bit nervous about today's conversation because I'm sharing my own personal story about my own postpartum depression that I experienced when our second daughter was born. And whenever I share my own personal stories, it's always with the intention and the hope that it will help you stay curious about what's happening for you. And I know from writing about this topic before and sharing my story on my own blog that this topic it it needs space and it helps so many when it is spoken about and normalized so that's why I am sharing it with you today I'm feeling nervous because I haven't spoken about it out loud I've written about it like I said and I've been interviewed on other podcasts speaking about it you know just generally, but I haven't spoken about it in depth the way I'm about to today. And I have my Kleenex here just in case. So thank you for giving me grace. If I do get emotional, I'm going to give myself that gentleness too, because I I don't know. I don't know what's going to come up as I share with you. Let's start from the beginning. So our daughters are two years and four months apart in age. And why this matters is because When our second daughter was born, our eldest was two years, four months. So if you have a two-year-old, you know that there's a lot of emotional development happening at that age. And that that kind of was part of the mix of what became challenging for me as a mother of now two at that point in my life. And the first year, being a mother of two was the hardest year of my life to date. And I just, I didn't recognize myself. And I also didn't recognize myself for a whole year. I just thought this was the new normal of having two kids. It must be really hard and you must feel really angry all the time. So I'm going to just start at the very, very beginning. So when our youngest daughter was born, it was January. And every January at this time, the end of January, which is her birthday, a lot still comes up for me because it's it was such a hard time. And I share that with you because if you have some sort of uh, trauma or some sort of emotional challenge that you've ever worked through and you notice a certain time of year, I know children's birthdays can often bring up a lot. So her birthday brings up a lot for me every single year. Now, she was born at the end of January. It was this beautiful winter day. It was the kind of winter day where it had snowed and everything was covered and everything was white and silent. And she was born in the early hours of the morning. And I remember it was just, it was the beautiful home birth that I had dreamed of because our first daughter was born with medical interventions in hospital. And so that home birth experience was so empowering for me. I felt amazing. I was high on this birth experience for quite some time. Leading up to, you know, giving birth, our midwife, I remember her 
and I having a little chuckle together about, you know, your birth is coming up and I need, it's part of the protocol to go through the symptoms of postpartum depression. And, you know, she said, obviously you're a psychotherapist, so you know what those are. And, but she's like, I have to go through them with you. And so, you know, she said, if you feel uh, anger, anxiety, guilt, hopelessness, loss of interest in the activities that you find pleasure in, mood swings, crying, irritability, you know, there's, there's many symptoms to postpartum depression. And so she went through the list with me and, and she chuckled saying like, obviously, you know what these are and you didn't have any challenges with your first daughter, uh, with your own mental health. So everything is going to be fine. And we, we honestly, I remember having this chuckle with her about it. So our, our second daughter was born and I had all those feel good hormones. I felt amazing. I was totally high on, on love, on mothering, on what my body had just done. I just felt so incredible. And then the slow emotional decline began. It was very slow. And I, I can't really pinpoint exactly when it was, except that it was the, just a series of small moments layered on top of each other. The one thing that does stand out for me that I started noticing, I can remember the, where the change happened, was our youngest daughter was in preschool two days a week. And I remember it was a 10 minute walk to get to this preschool and it was the middle of winter. And for me, in my mind, I was like, obviously I'm going to strap the, the baby to my body and we're going to walk there. I mean, it's a great opportunity to get fresh air for her to get exercise, for me to get exercise. I was just like set on walking to daycare with this two and a half year old. And I'm laughing now because clearly that was not a reasonable expectation because 10 minutes for a, a two and a half year old walking in the snow with all of their gear is just like a nightmare for them. And it was a nightmare for her, which made it a nightmare for me. And that was the first moment where, so we decided, I decided, okay, well, we're not walking. Uh, that's not enjoyable for anybody. Uh, so we're going to drive. We're going to drive five minutes to daycare. And that was hard for me because that was the very first moment that I like really remember thinking, okay, well, there goes that small little window of self-care out the window. And we, you know, as parents, we, we, you know, we do that there, we make accommodations to meet our children's needs. And that is what I needed to do at that time. But it stands out for me because it felt really big. Like I, cause there wasn't a lot of self-care happening, obviously. And that was just like one way that I thought, okay, I got this. I'm going to get the, I'm going to get some outdoor time. I'm going to get some fresh air and movement. And it went out the window. And, you know, for anybody who has a second or third or fourth baby, you know, that waking up your baby from the nap is super common for those kids. Cause now you have the older kids needs that you need to meet. So that really sucks. I remember I'd wake up our youngest from her nap to go pick up our eldest from daycare. And it was such, oh my goodness. It was just madness. You know, you've got like 10 parents in this tiny cloak room with all the kids and their winter gear and they're like climbing on the benches and all of us are going through this together. <laughs> and how are we going to get these kids dressed and get them outside? Meanwhile, you're like still in your winter gear. You're sweating your butt off. I've got like the, the baby in the bucket car seat. She's sweating. I'm like, please don't have a meltdown. You know, the intensity is so, so real. 
I'm sort of laughing right now as I go through that story because I'm, I'm removed from it. But at the time, it was not funny. It was so stressful. All of my, like my whole, I remember my body having a full stress response. Like every time I had to get into that cloakroom, oh man, it was so intense. I also remember, I remember another mom and we met, like we finally got the kids outside and we had this moment together and her face was saying, her facial expression was saying everything that I was feeling. And then you know, she had just had a baby as well. And obviously like our kids were both toddlers at the, at the daycare together. And I remember her saying, I feel like the shell of the fun person I used to be. And I remember we hugged and I later learned that sh- she told me that she also, oh, there, there it is. that at that time she was also struggling with postpartum depression and also didn't know it. And there we were, these two mothers, you know, experiencing the exact same thing, but not able to recognize it or even say it out loud until years later. And as we moved along, so, you know, we moved into the spring and then the spring turned into the summer. And this is when I started noticing how angry I was, how agitated I was. And I didn't have patience for really anybody at that point, and especially for our two-year-olds and her tantrums, which are so natural for that age and what they're going through in their development. And so there she is experiencing emotions for the first time, right? That's what's happening for for two-year-olds. It's your brain is expanding and developing and, and you're experiencing certain emotions for the first time. Like you're feeling frustration for the first time. Can you imagine feeling frustration for the first time in your life? Like, what is this feeling I'm having? It's so overwhelming. So there she is having big feelings for the very first time. So they're even bigger and they need so much more care and empathy And I was not able to meet her needs consistently because I had lost the ability to regulate my own emotions because of what was happening for me. And so I was having this like less patience, more agitation, more anger. And then physically, my already small frame had become emaciated. And I am a lover of food. I love nourishing myself. I get great pleasure from cooking for for myself, for my family. And no matter how much I ate, I could not seem to find my healthy weight. And I was I was nursing an infant, caring for a toddler, and it was literally taking everything out of me. And at this time, I was transitioning between my careers as a professional singer and dancer and into my uh, psychotherapist practice. So I was doing, I was crossing over. And so at that time I was a performer and my body was open for public commentary. You know, I would have a performance and people would comment on how amazing I looked. How did I lose the baby weight? And it was this dissonance of how awful I felt, how weak and emaciated I felt versus how on the outside I was being congratulated because of the cultural expectations and these cultural celebrations of what beauty is supposed to look like. And 
it was almost offensive. It was almost offensive because I did not look well. I did not look well. And I was being congratulated on essentially being emaciated. And that was really, I felt like I wasn't being seen because I was like, I don't feel good. I'm angry. I feel like a shell of myself. And here our, our culture and our society celebrates this. Uh, oh, it was, uh, really upsetting. I also learned later that weight loss, severe weight loss is also a symptom of postpartum depression. So I had all of these clues along the way and, but I was so in the weeds of just, you know, having an infant and trying to care for, uh, both children and getting used to that new normal that I, I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. So then the fall was when things got even more heightened. I started to pour myself a glass of wine every afternoon. And this was the most glaringly obvious sign that I was not okay. I was never someone who would reach for alcohol on a daily basis, maybe once a week with a meal or on a special occasion. But now at that point, so our youngest was born in January. Now we're in the fall. This is probably, you know, nine, 10 months in. And now I needed that glass of wine to keep from imploding. It literally calmed the one single nerve that I had left until my husband came home from work. And the wine I know now, uh, and also at that time it was so, so clear. And this is when I knew something wasn't okay was it was numbing all of the anger and all of the grief that I was feeling because I just kept thinking like, where is the fun person I used to be? Like, I'm a really fun person, you guys. And I was not fun. I was the opposite of fun. I was angry. I was sad. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was all of these things that it, it, I wasn't Allison. All I knew was this role of mother. And unfortunately, that role of mother just felt really ugly and not who I wanted to be. And so that became my new normal, this, this sadness, this resentment, this anger, and the sadness was for the mother that I had envisioned I would be. I wanted to be home with our girls. I wanted to be the primary caregiver for them. I didn't want to to put them in care or, and we, we couldn't even afford a nanny, even if I wanted it at, at that time. You know, I wasn't, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be there, there for them, but it, I wasn't feeling the way I thought I felt I would feel as a mother. And so I was experiencing so much sadness around that. I felt like such a failure. This is not how I envisioned me as a mother. And and then I was having resentment towards my husband. And I hate even admitting this because he's so amazing. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> my husband has always been supportive and hands-on in every way. But at that time, I saw him as being lucky to go to work and to be around adults all day and have, you know, adult conversation. And I envied that he would ride his bike across town and, you know, get to be active and be stimulated intellectually by his coworkers while I was, I felt like I was stuck at home with a baby strapped to my body while I was a man managing the emotional needs of a toddler. So I felt really resentful towards him and very trapped in this motherhood role. And then I also felt angry. <laughs> and that honestly, you guys, I, I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm not laughing at all. Um, that really honestly was my go-to emotion at that time. I had just, I had no patience for anything. I feel a lot of shame around having that feeling. 
yeah, I was very angry. I, I yelled at my toddler in my lowest moments. I was unkind to the people that I love the most. Okay, I had to give myself a little pause there. And I'm back and everything is fine. So this, at this point, that was the breaking point for me. It was the day that our baby turned one. I broke. I had this realization because if you know me, I, on birthdays or anniversaries, I like to reflect on the year. I'm a person who likes to reflect and learn from the past and then move forward from that. And uh, when I was reflecting on that year, it was the realization that I had been unhappy the entire time, pretty much. And I really, I missed myself. I remember putting the kids to bed that night. It was our our youngest first birthday and I wept and my husband just held me. Like all of this stuff just came pouring out, this realization that I was not the person that I wanted to be. And there was a brief moment right before she turned one that I had suicidal thoughts and I really did think it would be easier to end my life then it would be to continue feeling these awful feelings. And suicidal thoughts had never entered my mind before, and this was way out of character for me, and that scared me, it scared my husband, and we knew that something wasn't right. So uh, suicidal thoughts are often, it's not that you want to die, it's that it is so hard, what you're going through is so hard that you want it to stop being hard. And that, that's where I was only for a brief moment. But as soon as I had those thoughts, I shared them right away out loud. And thankfully I was heard and my husband understood, um, how serious that was and how far out of character that was for me. And so I asked for help. I knew I couldn't do it alone at that point. That was the breaking point. I reached out to my community. I needed support with the day to day duties that had swallowed me. You know, when you have these, have small children, you know, it's so all encompassing. And I was so depleted and low at this point that I, getting through the day to day, I could not do it alone. I could not possibly do it alone. When I asked for help, my people, they listened and they took action. My parents made dinners. Uh, my friends dropped off food. You know, my family was amazing. They would come. They would clean up the kitchen for me. My friends would keep me company. I would have more more visits, more talks on the phone with people. My brother would take our eldest out to the park. We paid to have the house cleaned once a month. Like all of these little things helped to fill me up. And I started to feel better. And I... I started to have glimpses of my fun self starting to come back. I started doing activities on my own without the kids, which was really, really important for my mental health. My own self-care was scheduled into our family schedule. It was a non-negotiable. And like I've said before in other episodes, you know, the challenges in your life are your greatest opportunity for growth and for deeper connection. And That deeper connection for me through this challenge was the deeper connection with myself. And with any relationship, the the more you're in connection with yourself first, the better you're going to be able to be in connection with your partner. And that is where for me, my passion and my commitment to my own self-care just uh, became, like I said, a non-negotiable. And it continues to be to this day. 
And so with the support of my village, I was able to make the time to heal. It did not happen by accident. I had to schedule it. Remember, self-care is the intentional act of restoring yourself. It doesn't happen by accident. You need to communicate. You need to reach out for support. You need to receive. This is a time for you to receive support. Something for me at that time that was really helpful and also really difficult, which is why I'm sharing it, we did not have a lot of money to spare at at that point in our our lives. You know, we were really stretched financially and going to a yoga class was, you know, not in the family budget. And so I had to ask my parents as a retired dancer, you know, aerial silks was something that I really loved to do. And I I couldn't afford to go to aerial classes at that time. And I had to ask. I literally had to ask for two things. And it was very uncomfortable and very difficult for me. But I asked my parents if, A, if they could come and watch our children while I went to an aerial class. And then, B, if they could also pay for me to go to a class once a week. It was really uncomfortable for me to ask On all levels, receiving help, receiving help financially, all of it was uh, even talking about it right now. It feels really uncomfortable for me, but it's a reminder that you can ask for support in whatever capacity that is for you. And it is up to the other person to say yes or to say no. And my parents very generously said yes. Allow the people in your life to set those boundaries for themselves. They will not be able to help you uh, if you don't ask for what you need. So know that we are all capable of setting our own boundaries. And I, I know how hard it is to ask. I understand that. And I also want to remind you that just because you ask doesn't mean that somebody has to say yes. They have that choice. So give them that choice. Give them that opportunity. Every year at this time, the end of January, I am always reminded of that dark time when I suffered alone, not knowing why I was feeling what I was feeling uh, with postpartum depression. And I am a psychotherapist and mental illness happened to me and, and it can happen to the most educated, enlightened and healthy people. This is why I share this story because it's nothing that I did wrong or that you have done wrong. Right When I look back, I feel really sad for that mother. She needed help, and she didn't know it. And my wish is that by sharing this experience, my experience with you, it will help you normalize what you may be feeling and to be curious about what you are feeling and listen to those curiosities and, and to those feelings. Don't numb them and push them away. They are, they are telling you uh, very useful and important information. As always, at the end of every episode, I like to give you action items. And this one is especially important on this really tender topic. So I have three three simple action items for you. And number one is if you are resonating with this story and feeling similarly to how I was feeling during my experience of postpartum depression, I encourage you to, first of all, be gentle with yourself. And secondly, go and look at the show notes where I have a link to this original blog post that I wrote, which is called What I Wish Every Mother Knew About Postpartum Depression. And I have a list of symptoms 
with postpartum depression. So go and check and see if those symptoms resonate for you and it will help you have a little bit more clarity as to what specifically to look for. And with that, I want you to share with the people you love what may be happening for you. And if you're not able to find the words on your own, share the article, share the blog post or this podcast episode with them so that they can understand what you may be experiencing. I know for me, it was very difficult to find the words for what was happening when I was in it. And this is why I, I'm i recording this now, so that to help give you a voice if you are having difficulty finding the words on your own. Getting the support is so, so important, right? And that is the first step, is sharing your experience with the people you trust and the people you, you love. Then after you do that, so number one is check the article, check the symptoms, and then if you're feeling like, oh, this might be happening for me, then please reach out for support to your community. Share this article podcast with them, like I said, to get that support that you need. Number two, figure out what self-care looks like for you and make it a non-negotiable. It needs to be in your family schedule for your well-being, for the well-being of your entire family. Okay. This is, this is not a selfish act. This is essential. You need to infuse self-care into your life regularly. And number three is please reach out to a registered professional for the support that you need. Uh, that could be, you know, any sort of practitioner that you have a relationship with uh, that feels safe is going to be the right person for you. I know some people like to start with uh, a more holistic approach, looking at diet with a naturopath. I know for myself, I when I adjusted my diet, it made a huge difference in how I was feeling. I had really low iron, I discovered, and by adjusting my diet to increase iron and red meat in my diet, at that time, we were mainly vegetarian, only eating a little bit of chicken and fish, and when we brought more red meat into our diet, it made a huge difference for my mental health because I was so low on iron. Low iron can contribute to, especially to anxiety levels. And I, again, that is what worked for me. And that was because I was working closely with someone on my, my wellness. And I encourage you to figure out who that person is for you to get what you need on your wellness journey. So reach out to the practitioner that feels right for you. All right. Thank you for being here for your grace as I shared this, this, uh, very vulnerable story. And, um, I'm really, I'm grateful that you're here making this time for yourself and to get to know yourself better and to be in tune with all of the cues of emotions that, that we're gifted with. I know they can feel hard, but when it feels hard, those emotions, I tell you, they are, they need space and they are telling us those. It's like the truth tellers, right? Uh, that we can't ignore. So don't ignore those hard feelings, be with them and listen to them. And I hope they lead you to healing and growth. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the couplehood podcast. It says so much about you that you're carving out this time for yourself and for your relationship. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find the podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Head over to alisonvilla.com to learn more. A special shout out to my podcast editor, Emily Millane from theultimatecreative.com. You are a rock star. All right, you guys, until next time, I'm Allison Villa wishing you love on your couplehood journey.